I think one of the sadnesses of our culture at the moment is that the impossible weight we place on people to say, you have to change your circumstances to be happy, to flourish. You have to learn to embrace the givenness of your situation and your circumstances and ask what resources does the gospel provide for me in this? Hello, and welcome to the Upside Down People podcast. This is a podcast where we have gospel-centered conversations with Jesus-loving people. So wherever you may find yourself, whether you're out for a run, on your daily commute, doing the dishes, mowing the lawn, whatever it may be, I'm just so grateful that you've chosen to tune into the conversation. Today's conversation, I'm joined with a friend, Jared Mural, and we sit down with Rory Shiner. Rory's been a guest on our show before where we talked about navigating the secular seas of our culture. It's a great conversation. If you haven't listened, feel free to pause this conversation and jump back a few episodes to our previous episode with Rory. But if you're wanting to strap yourself in for this conversation, you can get ready because we dive into the topic of identity. As you can imagine, identity is a huge topic, so we don't even begin to scratch the, the surface of it. But We do know how formative it is and how instrumental it is to understanding not just ourselves, but society around us, to understanding how the gospel shapes and forms our identity um, and how we, because of our identity, perceive things of the gospel and culture. And these are all different things that Rory helps us unpack in this episode. Without babbling on further, let's dive into today's conversation. Welcome back, Rory. So good to have you here. Cool, great to be back. I like to, well, I think I've got the status now, friend of the podcast, is oh, that right? Absolutely. Friend I mean, of the I, show. I didn't want to assume anything, Rory, but I feel like maybe we're on that page now. I think, I think we're there. You know? I'm actually, I'm even prepared to go first name, so yeah? just call me Rory, yeah. Oh. Call you Rory. Uh, thank you. Exist? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was prepared for Mr. Shiner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, really, really good to be back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm so glad. Um, we, we thoroughly enjoyed our conversation last time. Um, and the feedback that we got was it's been really helpful and enlightening. And um, so that's sort of the encouraging feedback that we want to hear. We don't want to just be throwing out a bunch of information into the ether and it just falling falling with the rest of stuff. But yeah. We wanted to be encouraging and yeah, I think you, you've done a lot of thinking around those topics and around many different topics and yeah, I think in terms of with culture and society, it's really helpful and relevant. So right. And I must yeah. say on a slightly less serious note, I, I had a little bit of feedback from a mate at work um, on the first uh, episode, Rory, and he particularly enjoyed... Um, your call about ADHD maybe being, you know, a pastoral qualification found <laughs> that particularly amusing. So, uh, excellent. Yeah. That was very good. Got no offense to actual sufferers of a serious uh, condition, but uh, yeah. <laughs> At least he was able to relate. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, well, I was just talking to to Jared before, like, um, I think the, the amazing thing about those little, like, bits of information is it brings humanity into the conversation. And... I think that's what people really relate to. That's, that's certainly what I relate to is when I hear someone um, talking and then they say something about their, like those um, idiosyncrasies about themselves and it's like, oh, they're a person as well. They're not just this like 
far off being with this knowledge or anything like that. It's like, oh, they, they're just like me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And related to that, Rory, could I ask, um, being a pastor, I think at times maybe people put you in this position um, where maybe you're a superior being, a superior human that, um, you know, is on a different spiritual plane to them. Uh, have you found that being the case with your interactions with uh, other Christians, people in your congregation? And how do you go about relating um, on a human level with those people without maybe oversharing, being too vulnerable, but also being like, hey, I, I understand. Yeah, that's, um. I mean, that does, that, uh, that does happen. I think it changes a bit across cultures, both in terms of, uh, uh, you know, like manifestly different cultures. Uh, so I, I noticed that if you um, uh, if you go overseas, there's often situations um, where being a pastor is a higher status thing than it is in Australia. So I think Australia has a bit of a that tall poppy thing going on where you knock down people, and then on top of that, uh, you know, pastor probably in, in, especially in recent years has kind of somewhat plummeted in uh, it's a kind of a social status thing, and I think in Within different traditions within Christianity, I think often um, I notice in the more um, Pentecostal tradition, often uh, pastors, there's a higher respect and often just things like even using the phrase pastor and, and so on uh, is, um, so it does change between traditions, but I, I mean, it is a kind of, there is an occupational hazard there where uh, you're sort of um, perceived to be paid to be a Christian or <laughs> and you're like a professional Christian and uh, and there's a weird like line there because I think it is it is appropriate that people expect their pastor to be what the what the Bible would call beyond reproach, um, which is different from sinless. So uh, 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 sinless is no claim that any pastor has any right to make this side of eternity, but. Beyond reproach is a reasonable expectation of a Christian congregation. I think that means something like uh, they are living a life that does not disqualify them from from pastoral ministry. So you're not having affairs, you're not abusing your employees, you're not um, you know running a secret blog supporting terrorism or something like that. Yeah. And um, that is that a made a temptation for you, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> You just got to, uh, yeah, um, abate the flesh. But the, the, um, yeah. So there is a thing there where, and uh, it is interesting actually. I'm probably going to overshare now, but in in pastoral ministry, there, you know, one of the things I have got is a, a person that I talk to periodically, and they're not on the org chart. They're not part of the part of the church, and they're they're a per, I mean, they they do go to the church, but they're not part of their kind of employment structure. And that's the person that I talk to and say, oh, these are the kind of sins that I'm struggling with and these are the things that are going down. Yeah. Um, because uh, there is an incentive structure in for pastors that if you're vulnerable, if you're vulnerable up, like if you say to your board or your elders or whatever, I'm struggling with X, Y, or Z, um, the, the risk is you think you you start to self censor because you think actually my my job could be on the line yeah yeah whereas if I can I can talk to this guy and this I say to this guy you know you've got access all areas the moment you think like if I say oh the real struggle is like I was um I was at the traffic lights and I was mildly irritated that I missed 
uh, miss the green, yeah. um, then he's probably not going to report that. Whereas if there's, if there's things of like, oh, I just, I was so angry. I really uh, yelled at the kids. Then he, you know, in an inappropriate way, he might push back on that. And then if there's, then there might be things where it's like, actually, I think you need to talk to your board about that because that's, you know, yeah. so uh, I, I've, would, anyway. Would you like um, sort of categorize that as um, like a spiritual friendship? In the sense of, uh, I don't know if you've heard um, Ray Ortland and Sam Aubrey, they do like a, a podcast for, um, I think it's Christian pastors. Yeah. Um, and one of the things they say is like, you need to have spiritual friendships, at like a person, almost like what you're describing, where you can be vulnerable, you can be open, you can be honest. Yeah. Um, especially, well, the, the, the podcast is aimed at pastors. Um, but saying like you need to have that structure. Um, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, and I don't, is that, that's the, I'm not, you're not crazy. You're not crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was trying to remember the title. But yeah. Great, great podcast. Yeah. And, yeah. I think that's, that is really true because I think again, uh, there is a, there is a thing. I think it's really important for pastors to be, uh, to be honest, to tell the truth and to be appropriately vulnerable with their congregations to not feed into a um a perception of kind of different level sinless um christian faith yeah but or and there is also a risk that vulnerability can be weaponized or used in a manipulative way to attract a kind of loyalty that is about you and your personality rather than about your your role and service of the congregation. Yeah. Wow. Um, That's awesome. So you do get yeah. you get sometimes you think, oh, people will say, oh, oh that pastor's um really I noticed that if if a pastor there is that such a thing as a kind of a preaching and pastoral ministry that is so where the pastor talks so much about themselves and their own spiritual journey and walk and the way they've done things and uh, that the church starts to gather around them and their personality. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And, and vulnerability is is very, um, it's a very high currency and so you want to play it carefully. Yeah. That if you, um, anyway, so that's, that's what I think. So I think, I think it's very important to be honest, very important to be um uh, to um, nip in the bud or, or um, burst any um, uh, balloons about aggrandized pastors. Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for vulnerably sharing that with yeah, us. I, yeah, it's great. Yeah. yeah. Can yeah. I ask Rory related to that? Um, Here's a big Rory, question. <laughs> Rory, Rory Shiner, when he started pastoral ministry and the way he interacted with. Uh, being vulnerable and sharing his humanness with the congregation versus Rory Shiner today, has that changed at all? That dynamic has it evolved? Oh, that's interesting. I think it it has. I think I I think I am probably more vulnerable with my congregation. So I think I think actually over time, I, I think something that's changed is that I do think that. I owe my actual church a, a real primary loyalty and, um, uh, you know, exposure. So I, I think for them, so I, I think when I'm doing things outside of my 
church, like if I'm speaking in in a, in a conference or whatever, I do th- I do think I hit a bit of a different a different key there. Whereas with my church, I think part of it, I'm just coming up to long service leave. So I've been there for about 10 years. Is that why you look so relaxed? I was, I was actually going to comment on that. You Last time we had a conversation with you, you're dressed up to the nines. And yeah, now you're, you're in your tea, you're feeling relaxed. You got your coffee in your hand. Just, just got funny funny yeah. socks on. Maybe. Yes. <laughs> it's the funky socks. Those are very really cool. Them, there, there's this glow around you, Rory. I've just let myself go. That's right. It's just, <laughs> Uh, that's right. So I am uh, sorry. Uh, sorry to rub that in for anyone who's in the middle of a really <laughs> traumatic work situation. But I, uh, I am about to go on long service leave, and I think that ten year thing. It, 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 you do one of the things I observe is that there is a there used to be a pattern of ministry. Sometimes people still do this, and no no judgment, but where you kind of change jobs every three to five years. And I think in my case, at the at the three year mark, and probably every three years, I kind of think, oh, I'm out. Forget it. Like you know, and you do that kind of, wow. you have that, uh, what I call the, um, the murder suicide, um, res- resignation, um, fantasy where you, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> where you, you think to yourself, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to quit. And I'm writing a letter saying I'm out of here and then they'll be sorry. And, <laughs> the, and then they'll realize, oh man, that I didn't realize all he was doing and how hard he was working and how mean we were and so on and the moment you start to think that it's time hey you probably should just go for a jog and maybe have a lot <laughs> uh, so you so, so you're saying every three years you go for a jog every every three years i go for a jog that's right <laughs> um but it, i mean uh, like hopefully said like that it's obvious that that's the moment you're yeah. having that kind of murder suicide kind of uh revenge fantasy resignation letter thing something you you've got to you've got to action that yeah and uh and take some time out and also just get a hold of yourself because actually that's a really terrible way to think about the people that god's led yeah. you to lead and it does and it happens periodically and it's to do with you know stress levels all that sort of thing um but i find that at that if i had quit at those three year kind of crisis points i i think i would have been able to just go from job to job do my party tricks and then go to the next place without any, whereas by the time you're at the 10 year mark, I think I've had to apologize to almost everyone on the senior staff team at some point for something. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I think in a three year run, you could possibly get away with not having screwed up anything uh, yeah. in a major way. Interesting. And you start to think every time you propose a new thing, there's enough corporate memory of people who remember the last time you screwed up on that thing. Mm. And so... It does, I think long tenures are, can be a really good thing because they do force you to dig deeper and to get through, to get to that part of relationship that's on the other side of apologies, disappointments, mistakes mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So it's very, I, I can totally sympathize with the idea of moving every three to five years because that's about the point where I think, oh, and what's actually happening often is just, I'm kind of just really embarrassed that they've seen me make mistakes yeah, calls wrong and that sort of thing. But I think there is a depth that comes with that long tenure as well that you have to get beyond the party tricks into mm. the, um, you know, walking with Jesus together. There must be something something there because I, I've heard, I don't know how factual this is, um, so feel free to correct me, but <laughs> I've heard that like in terms of with friendship, friendship 
to to test its longevity, it has to last at least seven years. Oh, so there's something in that like tenure of seven years um, that like you go through hardships, you go through struggles, you go through like mountain highs and valley lows. Um, but then there's some like the the correlating studies were that your body completely replaces its um, all its cells. That cycle takes seven years. Oh, fascinating. So it's like you're almost like a new person every seven years. So it's, I don't that's know. Amazing. Yeah. And I mean, that's if it's with, with marriage, I think. That's, 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 that's right. Yeah. <laughs> in the, you know, in the, I realize there's such a thing as a, a marriage that goes really toxic and, and so on. But in the normal kind of bell curve of marriage, one of the things I want to encourage people to stick at marriage for is just like, there is something that happens, I think, at that after that seven year thing. And when you, you know, there's, you know, there's points where you, you know, you have kids and you mm. struggle with kids and then you start like burying your parents and, um, you know, it's, there is, and there's things that you can't possibly know what marriage is like at seven and 14 and 21 years. Yeah. The only way in it is through it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's the, the beauty of, of the journey, I suppose you, you know. Yeah, the, the, the relationship grows deeper and deeper. and Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So let's dive into, uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation and I'm sure Jared's, Jared's mind's probably ticking like, oh, we, we should dive into this. Um, <laughs> Got so many questions yeah. coming to mind that I want to ask. Them. It's, it's um, uh, it, I mean, we, we could just have a, have a conversation about that relationship. Well, I, I feel like <laughs> as a friend of the podcast, maybe we could, we could do this again. Well, yeah. Yeah. Oh, know. beautiful. Well, we'll, we'll take you up That's on that. Next level relationship. That is. Thank you. Once you're back from, um, long, long service leave. Yeah. In about six months. Yeah. Oh, when he's back from long service leave. <laughs> um, so I wanted to have a conversation with you, particularly around identity, um, today. So. In the, in the last conversation, you spoke um, a bit into identity and into culture. And I wanted to pick up on one of the quotes that you use, because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're a fan or I've done a lot of reading of Charles Taylor. Um, so I'll read the quote that you mentioned and then we can get into like how identity defines you perhaps or um, even what you consider like pillars of your own identity. Um, but the, the quote was, a person's sense of self is not something that can be achieved alone. It depends on recognition from others, from its realization. Conversely, the failure to have one's identity accurately acknowledged by others can distort or damage a person's sense of who he is. Um, so I'm I'm really curious about identity because I think it's something that it's, intricately connected to each one of us and it's how we view the world how we interact with each other this conversation right now is i perceive myself in a certain way so i ask certain questions to you and you you perceive yourself in a certain way or um you perceive that i perceive you in a certain so it's like can get really complex um so i wanted to try and understand firstly how does your identity define you um and then also how it's related to the scripture. So the, the scripture that I was thinking of is in Mark 12 and um, the, the greatest two commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart and um, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so defining what is the self, uh, because how do we love our neighbor if we don't know what the self is? Um, so yeah, what, 
is what's your <laughs> that's a big a big question there's a lot there but i'd love you to maybe just unpack a bit and as as you do we can tease tease a bit more out yeah yeah i mean and it is a really um the i mean there's two two kind of big planets there because there's the the planet of the 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 christian faith and um the the transfer from the very beginning from uh one identity to another which is which is huge in 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 the bible and in early christianity and baptism is really caught up with that because baptism is uh a really a, a sign of being identified with something else and so a lot of the um a lot of the joy and trauma of the of the early of early christianity is uh is social that you are changing from being associated with and identified with one group to another and in baptism you the the typical language is um that you're in christ that you're incorporated into christ and um so there's a huge thing in the christian faith because the christian faith uh transfers your primary identity from one realm to another and then it's a huge thing for us in the 21st century because we obsess over identity right and um we we construct it very differently and that is a big concern of Charles Taylor is how the self how the how the modern self is formed and so our the way we construct our sense of self is very distinctive and in the last decade or so you notice that even in our language so we would historically have said something like um I am a Christian and you notice in the last 10 years we go i identify as a christian right and that's a really interesting phrase it mimics a uh language we use around gender and um and, and other things where we'll say i identify as which is a very interesting and late development of who where the weight bearing load of identity is placed you know in, in construction you have the weight you know you have ornamental pieces and weight bearing pieces yeah, and like that fulcrum yeah yeah exactly and and so we um uh we have definitely moved to putting a very big weight bearing load on uh on our our ability to form our own identity and to um to to con- construct it ourselves so if you the, the experiment that I sometimes do um, in my thinking is to imagine, and I think this isn't this isn't hard to do. Just imagine, and this is a very kind of Charles Taylor move. Uh, imagine you, so biological you, exactly the same kind of unit, um, but the only difference is that you're born in 1523. So, uh, so exactly the same, but uh, 1523 as opposed to 2023. And then you ask the question, how would you? Biologically, the same person. How would you be different then to to now? I like this experiment. It's yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, right. And so, it, and so, it's a really good way of of clarifying where we've got to. So, um, you kind of take a moment to spin that out yourself. I, I think 1523, you would be um, your identity or who you are would be. Uh, constructed by three basically immovable things: your gender, where you live, and who you are born to. Right. And so you would, uh, you would 
you would know what you were doing with the rest of your life because of if you were a male son of a farmer, you would be a farmer. If you were the female son of a farmer, you would be the wife of the next farmer. Right. And so you would never, your that version of you growing up, you would never have the conversation, oh, what are you going to do when you grow up? It would never come up, right? Yeah. You would, and where, you it's would, a given. It's a given. So you'd never think about that. So you've got this, this, this givenness. You would experience uh, fear. So one of the experiences that you would have is that the world was in some ways a threat to you, that there were demons and spirits and uh, um, the world, to use the Taylor term, the world was porous, things could get at you. Um, you, you would be... Um, you would have seen several dead bodies by the time you were 12. Um, death would be very present for you. You would the, uh, you would be in a society where suicide rates were almost negligible. Like, be, And so the problem would be not that you would have your, you, the problem would be an excess of meaning because everything meant something. Right. So there's lightning. Think maybe God's angry at me. The harvest fails. What have we done in the village? Like everything, everything means something. There's a shake in the bush that if it wasn't an animal, it was a demon. So the world is full of meaning. Now, fast forward to the version of you that's born, that is alive in 2023. Uh, that is so different, right? Like your gender is so much less relevant to who you are and is in some ways, in principle, changeable. You can, that's now a thing that's not a given, but a thing that's in your court to negotiate your gender identity. Your parents will be, they will be considered good parents if they, especially if they're kind of white Western parents, Mm. if they didn't encourage you into the family business. So if they, if they said to you, hey, you do what you want to do, hey, and they'll say to their, yeah, you do you. And then they'll say to their friends at, at the barbecue and the, and the cocktail party and stuff, oh, yeah, well, um, you know, Rory's Rory's really forged his own way. He's really choosing his own life. And everyone's like, oh, that's good parenting. Yeah. Uh, and so you've got – and the big the big clue there, and you've already picked it up on this, Jared, of the difference between 15, 23 and 2023, it's not so much what your identity is but that you chose it. So I think that's what is behind the language I identify as. It almost doesn't matter what you put in, how you end that sentence, because Mm. what we're listening for is not I identify as a woman or a man or heterosexual or not heterosexual or um, what we're listening for is the I, that I, I constructed it. Right. And so we've got this, that's the thing that we're listening for, for authenticity. As long as I know that you chose it and, uh, um, David Bentley Hart talks about this once where, um, sorry to uh, raise difficult, to- difficult topics, um, but the, there was, I think he was at uh, Virginia, uh, he was teaching at a, at a university anyway, and there was, there was a suicide in one of, the, one of the dorms. And he talks about as the, as the university or the college, as it would be called in the States, came to terms with that, the phrase will come up again and again of like that's that's what he chose, that, right. that that's what he did, and so there was no sense that 
um, that the that person had any sense of like wider obligations or whatever, and the fact that he had chosen it was just kept coming up again and again as something that in some sense validated or at least mitigated against that decision that he he was he was behind it that's yeah that's pretty pretty crazy um very very um dark example but it is it is relevant in terms of how people identify is that you could have like a myriad of different mental um issues going on family issues going on but it's that focus on the individual it's almost like people don't want to try and um yeah they don't want to try and help tease out things further than like there could be something else happening here there could be something else that someone's actually struggling with in their identity yeah um but in our culture or in a western culture it's it's almost taboo. You can't ask someone like those questions. You just have to accept that. Hey, if if that's what they're saying, that must be their truth, and there's nothing more that can can come from that. Yeah, and at- absolutely. Sorry, Rory. Based on what you were saying, it seems like that there has been a historical and cultural shift over a number of years from this kind of communal identity an identity that's derived from others around us to a very individualistic identity and it being formed by yourself, this self-actualization, if you like. Yep. Um, do you think um, that that is A, the case and that that maybe impacts the way that we think about identity and how we try and navigate and process that more today? You might have somewhat already answered that question um, but is is one necessarily better than the other? Because I don't know. Through my, this is this is clearly we're talking about a Christian worldview. Um, if Christ is not somewhat relevant to our identity, there, even though maybe the communal kind of sounds nicer, is it like, is it you're still falling off the cliff on either side in a way? Yeah, that's right. And I think that um, that that you, that you've summarised it well. That is what I what I think is the, is the case. It's interesting in the, like most things, the, one of the challenges with understanding Western culture is that because the Christian gospel has been kicking around our culture for, you know, 1,700 years or so, um, uh, the, it's very hard to disentangle the West from, uh, from Christianity. Uh, it's not, it's not the same thing. And, but it's, the gospel has had such an impact. And one of the challenges is that because Christianity does have within it the possibility of repentance and the possibility of changing your identity, it, it's baked into the Christian gospel. And therefore, I think that that possibility of changing your identity is baked into Western culture in a way that um, uh, in lots of other cultures, so in, in lots of Islamic societies, it's it's literally illegal to change religion and that is that there are massive you know impediments right and and if it's not illegal it's often illegal at the legislative level and it's certainly um illegal socially to to change uh because your identity is 
to a degree that's very foreign to us, absolutely imposed from the outside. You get, no, you don't, you don't get to choose. And um, often in Jewish uh, identity, it's the same that the, you can be a Jewish atheist and you can be a Jewish uh, Orthodox or a Jewish progressive, but you can't be a Jewish Christian. There's a, that, that's, right. um, they're often seen as, in a tragic way, as like mutually exclusive. Yeah. So in, so that's the thing. So when you, when we talk about identity, I think as Christians, we have an instinct and I think it's a good instinct to, to be critical of the way identity is formed in the modern West. Cause I think it is, it's hugely problematic that the, our culture is very, um, very thin on, um, dealing with givenness. So the, um, we, that's why all our songs and all our movies are about people in their early 20s because right. after your early 20s, we don't know what to write songs about anymore or to do <laughs> because you've made all your choices and um, you do, you're not self-actualizing. You're starting to deal with things and we've the people that are off screen are people with it's a horrible culture to have a chronic illness in because we're like, I don't know, what do you do? I Like... Yeah. Uh, and we don't know what to do about givenness of... Um, what do you mean by givenness, sorry? Yeah, so givenness meaning the one of the things that traditional cultures are very good at and why they have kind of uh, low suicide rates and low anxiety rates um, in traditional cultures is because they're very good at saying, um, here's who you are and here's how to cope with it. Right. So you are uh, a boy and not a girl. And here's the role assigned to you as a boy and not a girl or a girl and not a boy. And we, we speak this language and we have this religion and we, we are, we are farmers and we're tied to the land or we're hunters and gatherers or whatever. They're all, they're all givens. Yeah. Okay. And traditional culture is very good at helping you with givenness. Cause it doesn't, it doesn't give you much room for personal psychology. You don't say, but I don't want to be that. You're just like, right. well, you are. So here's how you cope with that. I have no choice. Yeah, you have no choice. And therefore those cultures, if you look at traditional cultures, they'll tend to have, and even like to do that thought experiment, the version of you in 2023, a lot of the songs that you knew and a lot of the um, poems that you had memorized from childhood and a lot of the traditions that you're involved in would be about givenness and coping. Right. Like this is how we cope with a world that is like this and we can't do anything about it. Yeah. And this is, and so, and if you go back to the Bible and look for that, it's everywhere. Like, I love that because there's, I was um, having a conversation with a friend recently and, and we're talking about how when you can't control something, there's a freedom in that. But in our culture and our society, it's, the, the idea is you can control everything. Yeah, good point. And I think that's really related to what the like suicide rates, anxiety, the mental health issues. Um, Essentially be God. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah, you, you have that ability. You're your own. That's that expressive individual, individualism. It's like you're, you're your own human. So you control your life and... Therefore, like you're saying, Jared, you're your own God. You can control everything around you. But in reality, there are givens that you can't control. Can't yes. control the weather. Yep. Um, you can't control whether there'll be a hurricane that 
that rips through your neighborhood or whether uh, um, you're crossing the road and a car comes. I think I've just become aware of that even more recently, having a daughter mm-hmm. and that just going for a walk with your pram. I'm like, this is crazy. Like <laughs> you're pushing the pram. It's crazy because it's like the pram's in front of you. It's like, she's the first line of defense yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I can't control that. <laughs> yeah. But, but, yeah, I can I can see what you're saying. It, it is Just carry her on your back, Caleb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then, what's coming from behind? What's coming from behind? That's yeah, situation. I think that's I think that's exactly right. I think that's where I think I think the Christian faith has uh, many resources within it to help us to cope with givenness, and I think those resources are underutilized, even in the church, right? Because obviously, we we reflect and imbibe our culture in good, bad, and in different ways. And I think one of the bad ways that we in the churches mimic our culture is we do we do really lean into that. So even that language, I identify as a Christian, or that kind of bespoke baptism where you say, "Look, I won't get baptized until uh, I can do that," you know, in the Jordan River or under these circumstances, under this gum tree in this place at this yeah. time, and we start to curate this thing which we're really baptism starts to become this thing that is is about you know project me yeah. and whereas baptism is kind of the antithesis of that and you notice that even in churches that often churches aren't very good they're good at acute crisis care but not very good at chronic care mm. so that if someone is sick we pray and then they get healed we love that because we, we love the before and after still easy fix yeah. put yeah. the band-aid on that's right yeah and 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 in a in a way that I think is absolutely true, that does it 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 resonates with an aspect of the gospel that there is a real before and after in Christ, you're a new creation, and so that 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 makes sense in our narrative. But then, um, say someone is uh, you know uh, same sex attracted, and um, are of the conviction that the scriptures prohibit them to act on that. What does it mean to live with that as a given mm-hmm. to think? And, and that's a very common experience. I don't know how controversial this is, but like it's very common for um, people with same-sex attracted to who think, okay, the scriptures don't allow me to act on this. And yet I, uh, it, it, it seems to be something that is true of me and is not, not changing or changeable. Mm. And I wrestle. Yeah, that's right. And so how do you live with that or with, um, you know, being divorced or or, or having a, a chronic ongoing illness that doesn't fit neatly into the before after narrative? Yeah. Yeah. And actually the Bible and the gospel has a ton to say about that, that yeah. we are, um, it, it has a lot to say about how little we know ourselves. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Search me and know me. Um, we, we don't know ourselves that well that we... Um, we are God remembers that we are but dust. Mm. That um, our creatureliness, Psalm eight, what is man that you're mindful of him, a little lower than the angels, and yet yeah. crowned with glory and honor. That we are these creaturely finite beings that can't be in two places at once. That often can't remember where we left the keys. That and <laughs> that. You find yourself, say in, we were talking about marriage before, that you often, you get to this point where you think, okay, I'm 40, I, I, like literally I am 47, 
And you think, okay, I'm married to this person. I have this many kids with these challenges. I live in this place. And you have to learn to to embrace the givenness of your situation and your circumstances and ask how does the what resources does the gospel provide for me in this? Yeah, that's good. And it's a very it's a very uh it's a thing that I think we increasingly need to be able to do, especially as our our culture makes these kind of um, signs, these checks that can't cash of like, yeah. you can be anything, do anything, achieve anything. The, the the flip side of that, what with that emphasis on choice, that your identity is constructed by your choices. And so you identify as a gender, you identify as a religion, you identify as a particular thing. The dark flip side of that is that if everything is your choice, <laughs> then everything is also your fault. Yeah. yeah. And, and so crushing, isn't it? It's absolutely freeing. It sounds freeing in principle. Yeah. But if it's all on you, uh, you it to bear. Too yeah. much, way too much. And so we're now in this kind of weird situation where Christianity, one of its best things is a bit less, ju- it's less judgmental than its alternative, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> it's crazy. How it's, yeah, yeah. Come spin around. around. That's right. Right. That you're like, actually, we've got. Um, come on in, the water's fine. And here's a place where you'll, where we're in the, in the Christian gospel, where, where you're not, there's a place for, there's a big place, of course, for repentance and fault bearing and, um, sin and grace and, and so on. There's also a lot more room than the contemporary culture has for, um, tragedy, for things that are just really bad and aren't going to change. Yeah, and for givenness and for finiteness and um, so yeah. So with that, then a, a big question that I have in terms of um, just going off the back of givenness and so givenness and identity. What is the givenness in each of our identities? Would you say we can? There's fundamental pillars that make us who we are um, that we can identify with. Yeah. So there. So that's. Uh, I think that's true that there are things about us that we receive and uh, so there's things that, so I think in, in terms of our identity, so traditionally and I think across across lots of cultures that relevant things are going to be your family, that you're going to come out of a certain family situation, that you'll, you'll participate in a certain culture and uh, have you know, language and Thought forms and and um, artifacts that are that are part of that that culture, and you'll have part of part of uh, givenness is that we we have bodies, and it's not that we have bodies, but in a sense we are bodies. We we're embodied creatures. There's no other way to be human. Yeah, and so um, in the gender kind of conversation, one of the one of the challenges is that the the givenness of our bodies is for some people really problematic that they experience their bodies as um incongruous with what they want them to be and and so on and i think part of part of the christian faith is is i think part of the christian counsel for that is to work work through that to work out how to receive as a gift the body that God gave you. Yeah. Um, and that can be extremely difficult as well for, I can imagine for, for many people 
um, not just struggling with their sexual identity or, or um, how to like that, that gender question, um, but even more like, not more so, but even um, people questioning like how they fit into society on, on other levels as well, um, what their contribution is or what their worth is or how they find dignity. Yeah. Um, health issues, disability. Yeah, yep. yeah, exactly. That that chronic pain one as well. Yep. Um, so all those things are, I think, challenge that givenness. Um, so how does then, you, you mentioned like the gospel talks into that um, and it's almost um, this, yeah, this beautiful thing that we can lean into and we can wrestle with. Um, I don't want to like... Yeah, I don't want to make an issue seem like, oh, just go to the gospel and it's fixed, right? Um, because issues of identity are things we all struggle with and we all wrestle with. Um, and in terms of being a Christian is we we are challenged with who we are when we come to Christ because he's calling us to a, a redeemed self. Yep. Um, yeah. So how does the gospel speak into those those re- those struggles that we might have with our our identity. Yeah, I think that I, I think you're exactly right. That you, there is a a glib answer to that, which is to say, oh, um, to say, oh, we'll find your identity in Jesus. So yeah, simple thing is like you've got this, um, uh, you've got this like, kind of sexuality, but find your identity in Jesus, or you've got this chronic pain or disability, whatever. Find your identity in Jesus, and it's. Not untrue. Not untrue. That's right. It's not untrue. So what is the what is the problem with that? It's be, it, it is absolutely true. In fact, that we find our identity in Jesus. Now, when we find our identity in Jesus, there's there is still. So say if you go to baptism, when we get baptized, at one level, we are absolutely signing a blank check. Like in the early church, uh, this sounds really weird to us, but in the first few centuries, they used to baptize people in the in the nude, um, which is like to us that's a bit like um, safe church wouldn't pass the safe church kind of things. How the thoughts? But it, it, what they meant by that was that if you're a rich person, poor person, wow. uh, emperor, or or beggar, Doesn't you take your clothes off and you you go through the same waters wow. at the same ceremony at the same time. And you don't get to, um, you don't get anything special because you're the emperor. Yeah, and, and wow. that, that's, and I think that's absolutely powerful I don't, imagery. It is very powerful, <laughs> and I think yeah. whether yeah, or not in a slightly uncomfortable way. Yep, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm absolutely not advocating for. I'm not advocating for um, nude baptisms. Glad you clarified that. Yep, <laughs> but I do think that that's absolutely right. Yeah, that that what that the the meaning of that is that. We are all baptized. And if you go back through your kind of memory of the New Testament, you know, we are all we were all baptized into Christ Jesus. Neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. So there's this huge thing in the Christian at the heart of the Christian gospel that wherever you've come from, you get baptized into Christ. And the language in the Bible, we talk about being a Christian. The Bible uh, almost never talks about that. It talks about being in Christ, mm. about being united to Christ, mm. about being baptized into Christ. 
Now, so that is 100% true. Now, it is also true that there is such a thing as a self that is getting baptized. So, um, uh, Buddhism and, weirdly enough, contemporary neurology um, both tend to say there's no such thing as a self. That the idea of a self is an illusion, that there is no I doing this conversation that forget about the self forget about the self whereas christianity does have an integrated view of the self that that if i go and get baptized there is a person called rory and he comes from a certain culture and background and circumstances and he'll come out of the waters of baptism with some of the problems that he went in with (laughs) and so uh and there'll be a and so if you think about the the you've got uh, one level, you've got all that, we're all one in Christ Jesus, neither slave nor free, male and female, Jew nor Gentile, mm. one in Christ. Then if you go over to like, say 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, each of you should remain in the situation you were when you were called. Yeah, right. And what he's addressing there, so 1 Corinthians 7 is mainly about uh, the, the presenting issue is the first verse says, um, um, now concerning the matters you wrote about, um, it is good for a man not to touch his wife mm. or not touch a woman. Now, what's going on there, um, almost certainly is that, that they are writing to Paul and saying, hey, I was married, then I became a Christian, but good news, we've stopped sleeping together. <laughs> and Paul has to write, if you read it, you have to write this really delicate letter saying, yeah. what are you doing, man? And so he says, they say, it's good for a man not to touch a woman, a.k.a. Um, I'm now married to a, and often this is the case in the in the first, first few centuries, that, you know, Paul comes through town, preaches the gospel, and you become a Christian, but your wife doesn't. You, you do, but your husband doesn't. Right. And so now you've got this thing of like, okay, now I'm married to a pagan and I'm a Christian, so I'm gonna. We're gonna stop sleeping together, or whatever. And Paul says, "Yeah, maybe for a time for prayer, but then come back together again. Let's say, let's say, tempt you or whatever." Right. And through that thing, he in the the principle he's applying there is the situation in which you were called is the situation in which you can live out your calling. Right. So that's beautiful. That's a, what you're talking about before, almost like givenness. Yeah, absolutely. Free, it's a, isn't it? It's so free, right? And it's a huge thing to say because they're, they have understood in, in Corinth, the first half of the gospel, everything changes, um, new creation, everything's different. And then now they're thinking, okay, does that mean my, my marriage is different? And he says, no, actually, you can please the Lord as a free man or a servant, you can please the Lord as married or single. You can please the Lord as sick or healthy. The situation in which you are called is the situation in which you live out your calling, which will be like, you know, uh, if you're if you're a Shona speaking Zimbabwean, you can be a Shona speaking Zimbabwean Christian. And if you're, and that was one of the mistakes in some some early um, mission work is that you had to have two conversions, a conversion from Hinduism to Christ and a conversion from Indian culture to British culture. Yeah, that's where that colonialism sort of 
overarch the actual message yes. of the gospel, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And that that is a mistake because that principle is the situation in which you are called, a situation in which you convert your calling, which includes our culture and our identity. And so we don't end up coming out of the waters of baptism raw or generic, but um, I am in Christ as you are in Christ, and so we share that identity, but we have to work that out in in the identity that was given to me before my baptism and somehow there is some way of doing that authentically and in a way that pleases Jesus, which I think is really, is really free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So just thinking um, about this self and how we can integrate that um, in a, a thoughtful, biblical, clear way as Christians, I think I have... Um, I've been exposed to Christian traditions where it seems like there's a, a huge emphasis on the depravity of man and the fallenness of man and, um, you know, you are bad kind of thing. And then uh, other Christian traditions where there's this emphasis on, no, you are loved in Christ. You are great. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And, you know, you are valuable. Like, don't forget your value. And how I think that can kind of be a little bit of a confusing space because you're hearing two different emphases there and I don't necessarily think both are un, untrue there's some good in both of them there but I loved the scriptures you referred to um, you know earlier on in our conversation where you were talking about you know God knows we're dust and to dust we will return we're finite we're, we're creatures we're dependent upon God yet Psalm 8 there's this glory in humanity what is man that you are mindful of him but God is, and he sees us as valuable. We're made in his image. Um, so just balancing those things out and thinking about ourselves clearly, what do you think the Bible, does the Bible hold those two things in tension? Uh, does it emphasize certain aspects of self more than the other? Yeah, that's great. It really is, um, uh, that's a huge thing. And I think that, I don't know where that, I know, I know exactly what you mean, that kind of depravity, that thing. One of the problems with it is that it, the gospel almost becomes arbitrary. Like when you emphasize, oh, we're just, we're just like filthy, disgusting worms, um, just useless sinners that God has poured his grace on for no good reason at all. You still have to think, like, why? What, yeah. what, what rescuing from what? Uh, whereas actually, of course, the Bible, it's a, uh, the way you could say it is that it's not a two-stage story, it's a four-stage story. So it doesn't go um, depravity to saved, but it goes from, you know, original creation made in the image of God, fallen, fallen from that position of dignity. And so the um, salvation in Christ and the final redemption are tethered to that God's, God's purpose of creating image bearers. Who are um, who have an inherent dignity and and worth, and so His salvation of us is not. Um, it's all of grace because we are filthy sinners uh, deserving His wrath, but it is it's not arbitrary because it is integral to His His plan for the universe was to create these image bearers who would bring His glory to the creation, and so His salvation of us um is not uh, arbitrary but um 
significant. And you see that too. I think the two big doctrines there are the doctrine of creation, that um, we are being restored and redeemed to the thing that God made us to be, mm-hmm. and um, the the doctrine of the incarnation, where Jesus became a human. Mm-hmm. So um, he, um, for us and our salvation, he became a man. He he became a human, and that's not arbitrary. That's that's the creature that he came to save, and that's the and he brings a so the early church. Uh, so or I think it was um, Athanasius says this that his metaphor for the incarnation is it's like a a king comes and visits a house, um, and then the whole street is called King Street because the king stayed in one house. Yeah. So, but by staying in one house, the whole street is dignified. Yeah. And Athanasius says Jesus became a human, and all humanity bears the dignity of the fact that he became one of us. Yeah, and uh, which is a lovely, um, a lovely picture. And then, of course, the the resurrection. So, and often um, a missed part of the Christian gospel for lots of uh, lots of Christians is that we don't believe in the immortality of the soul. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. So. The Christian hope is that our bodies will be raised, restored, redeemed to be like his glorious body and we will reign in a new creation. And and that's good news for people that are struggling with their bodies, right? Like absolutely. Like you earlier. Yeah. It's going to be resurrected. That's right. And that, that really helps with that part of that givenness and part of the that we, we live in stage three of a four-stage story. So we're not... Um, at a point where we expect the our bodies to be perfect and integrated and redeemed, that's a that's a future thing. So, forgiveness of sins is a present thing. The deposit of the Holy Spirit is a present thing, but the redemption of the bodies is a future thing. And so, in our churches, we should expect that people there will be all of us some of the time, and some of us all of the time will struggle in the bodies that we have. And that we we should anticipate that because that's that is for for the age to come. And then I think in the age to come we will be not disembodied but embodied, glorified. And I think we'll be you know ruling the world, like working out how to farm something that we didn't know how to farm yet, and yeah. how to write music that we haven't written yet, and how to. Um, will I have a six pack in heaven, Rory? I think you, <laughs> I, uh, Jared. Whatever it is you are now, you'll be the perfect version of that then. It's going to be a six-pack. It'll be awesome. Bringing it to a a close, um, or one one final thing that I don't think we've really touched on, but I think it is like intricately connected to this conversation about identity, um, is this idea of... I love how, how yeah, we, we can look forward to our identities being redeemed and our bodies being restored. Um, but there's a clear wall for who we are. Um, there's, a, there's a clear battle for how we define ourselves. Um, so maybe you can talk into a bit in, in closing um, what this attack on our identity is um, and why that's important i suppose i think it's an important thing to be aware of um because we can um philosophize identity and 
we can look to great thinkers like um, Tim Keller or Charles Taylor or whoever it is um, to try and define what these things that we're feeling or like why culture has these cycles of you identify with community, then you identify identify with the individual self. and um, But there's a constant attack on who we are and trying to divert that fr- away from who God says we are. Um, so maybe you can just talk a bit into to that in in closing. Yeah, that's that's great. I think absolutely well articulated. I think that is uh, one way to think about it is the huge the the big task of the Christian faith is to um, to live out of the new identity that Christ has given us. So. Um, you know, it, through through our baptism and through being received into Christ, we're given this new identity, and that at one level is um, uh, it's um, to use the sociological language, it's a ascribed identity rather than achieved identity. So it's less like a job interview where you're saying to the uh, person, "Hey, look, I could be a good person for your company if you let me in." It's more like being adopted into the royal family. Um, and maybe having been adopted into into the royal family, you then there are a certain set of behaviours and situations that you will learn to uh, learn to live with. I think, but and live out of. And so, being a Christian is like that. And I think it does come um, at at a at a daily level that you 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 know you wake up and there's a practice. I don't think it's like. Um, I don't think you curse the day if you don't do it, but there's a common Christian practice of starting the day with scripture and prayer. And I think one of the really good things about that is that you are uh, allowing the that deeper, truer life to come in and to, to set your thing to see, I am a child of God. I'm loved by the Father. I'm forgiven by the Son. I'm indwelt with the Spirit. I am facing this day out of that, out of that identity of, of who I am. And I think one of the one of the tricks for Christians is to learn to stop. Um, I think this is from Martin Lloyd Jones to to learn to stop listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves. Love that. Yeah, because you. What do you mean by that? So the trick is that if you listen to yourself, um, often yourself is going to be deceptive that you'll say something like, so for example, say, um, say you've got a particularly tender conscience and you've, um, you've asked God for forgiveness for a sin. And then you wake up the next morning and you still yourself is saying, uh, you're still filthy sinner. God, God is really disappointed with you. At that point, you've got a choice. Do I listen to myself or do I speak to myself and say, Hey, self shut up. Yeah. That, that's not true. And you're, you're, you, and you've got to become more skeptical about yourself talk and more embracing of what God says in the gospel. So, you know, I say to myself, "Are oh, you're unforgivable or you've, you are a constant disappointment to God. That's not that's not true and to be able to 
to speak to ourselves the truth of the gospel. And that's often what we're doing when we sing. And I think one of the, I was talking about someone, I was talking to someone about this this morning. Someone asked me this ridiculous question, which is what's more important, praying or singing? (laughs) Okay. Depends if you've got a good voice or not. What was your response? Well, my answer was that I think praying is more important because I think prayer is how you start the Christian life. And so I think I'm happy to say prayer is more important. But I think singing is a bigger clue to what the Christian faith is because almost every other religion has prayer, but almost no other religion has singing. Hmm. So we think, oh, singing is a thing that different religions do. They don't really. There's like chanting and stuff like that. But in terms of... A, the, in terms of a community of faith coming together and singing, um, that's a distinctively Christian thing. And part of why that is, if you think of Colossians 3, it says, um, sing, uh, he says, sing, sing to one another, uh, uh, teach one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's a really interesting phrase, right? Because he says, teach one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So, what am I doing when I go to church? I'm te- I am involved in the teaching ministry because I'm teaching you and you're teaching me the true story of the gospel, which, which really helps, right? Because often if you think that singing is a ministry that you render to God, um, that your primary job is to sing to God, then... Most of our songs and most of the Psalms let us down because they're mainly directed to each other. Uh, like we're mainly saying, um, uh, how great is our God? Mm. Or have you not seen all that is needful have be, has been granted in what he ordaineth as an old hymn? And most of our songs are hor- horizontally directed, but that's absolutely right because I need to come and hear you sing to me the truth of who God has made me and you need to hear it from me. And so part of what we're doing when we gather together is reinforcing our collective identity in Christ. So we're so forgetful of that, aren't we? Yeah. 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 And so I think, yeah, absolutely. And so I think all those things, I think, um, yeah, not rocket science, but I think um, reading the scriptures, um, going to church, singing your heart out, um, uh, taking the Lord's Supper, and they're all, all of those, what are those things? They're all ways that we form ourselves into the narrative of the of the gospel. That's good. Yeah. Rory, I'm really mindful of time. We're definitely going to have to have a part three, aren't we, Caleb? A hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> I want to I sneak in one last question. How has your understanding of your identity in Christ, who you are in Christ, from the start of the Christian faith and to where you are now, how has that impacted who you are as a person? It's, it, it increasingly is impossible to disentangle who I am from what it means to be a Christian. I think that's just one of the advantages of making it to the ripe old age of 47, that you, <laughs> um, you've lived with it so long and, you know, had the Lord's Supper enough times and sung enough times and been to church enough times and read the Bible enough times. It, it, it does, it, it is an over, over time starts to seep into who you are. So you, I think you increasingly get to a point where you can't disentangle yourself from who you are in Christ. I think in all sorts of practical ways, it's helped me um, with, I think that, that self-talk has been really learning to talk to myself. It's made me much more, uh, yeah, a few things. It's made me much more skeptical about myself. So I think, 
I think I'm I'm less inclined. Like the moment, say it's kind of you know three o'clock in the morning, and I wake up and I think, oh, you know, I'm an idiot. Maybe it's not true. Maybe this is maybe God isn't whatever. I think it used to be back in the day. I'd be like, oh, but I take that seriously because you know this massive authority figure called myself has now reported, <laughs> you know, offered me this serious report. And now I think that guy is a bit of an idiot. He's got it wrong most of the time. And, um, and so I think there is a, there's a lightness in that, in, in working out that you are not a very reliable witness and, and that you don't even know yourself that well. That's very huge and, and liberating. Um, I think, um, you know, increasingly, as I get to the second half of life, where givenness really does kick in, where you, uh, I think part of your, you know, your twenties and stuff is that you are making decisions that are going to shape your life. Whereas um, for the next, next 30, 40, 50 years, I will be largely living with decisions that were made in the first half of life. Mm-hmm. And that is, I, I have found it hugely liberating to think, actually, I, I am Christ's and I'm in a situation, in a series of situations that some of them are my results of good choices. Some of them are results of bad choices. Some of them, are, uh, a lot of them are through situations just completely beyond my control. And that doesn't matter because what's the worst? The things that I've done, the, th- the situations that I'm in that are my fault, um, I can ask for forgiveness and God has promised me that the situation in which I'm called is a situation in which I can live out my calling. And then a whole lot of other stuff is like, it's not about me. I, there is there is some way to please God here. Mm-hmm. And um, that I think that's, I, I think one of the sadnesses of our culture at the moment is that the huge, um, the impossible weight we place on people to say, you have to change your circumstances to be happy um, to flourish. And I think it's, uh, it's a huge joy to be in Jesus and say, actually he can, he's been through the worst. He's seen me at my worst. He knows what knows me better than I know myself. And he's, he's got me. Um, it just means you can just start putting one foot in front of another. And, um, awesome. yeah, I love that. That's a, it's a great place to, to end. I do want to ask you one last question, and this is probably going to be the hardest one for you to answer because I'll only give you three words, <laughs> three words to answer it in. Um, so in terms of how you define yourself, so I'm sure others might define you as you, you have Scottish descent or you're a, a distinguished gentleman. Um, you might define yourself as white or a preacher or a philosophical thinker. But how does Rory Shiner define himself in three words? I know it's a big, it's a difficult one. Good, Caleb. <laughs> uh, belonging to Jesus. Oh, nice. Yeah, I love that. I, I thought you were going to do like different, different things, but that's a sentence. So beautiful. Rory, as always, great to chat with you. Thanks so much for carving out the time. Um, we really hope that your time on long service leave um, is just precious beautiful time with friends and family that it's rejuvenating that it just gives your soul what it needs thank you um and yeah i'm, I'm more than happy to call you a friend of the podcast yeah. see you next time yeah see you, you next, next time. time excellent thanks guys